Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Ray Ma, who is the co-host of Tech Buzz China podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Eric. Um, yeah, I wanted to have you on today because uh, you talk a lot about uh, Chinese companies, and you particularly are focused in ByteDance. Um, and for those who don't know, ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok, mm-hmm. um, which is I would say the fastest growing um, social media app in the U.S. certainly has the most oxygen in the room, um, and also it's been the subject of uh, controversy like recently. Um, so much so that like you know we're now hearing like regular people talking about possibly uh, the U.S. banning TikTok. Um, you know, folks even like Ben Thompson, uh, you know, in his article from last week. Uh, you know, even made the recommendation that the U.S. government bans TikTok. Um, so I guess my first question for you kind of is, uh, this is kind of the first time in the U.S. where we've had a social media app uh, that's been number one, quote unquote, uh, that's owned by a Chinese company. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so I think that's actually probably the most, you know, the, the elephant in, in the room, right? The most important issue that people should be looking at, and that is why is the number one social media app in the U.S. and not just in the U.S. It was also in you know doing very well in India before the Indian government banned it, along with fifty、uh, eight other apps、uh, a couple weeks ago. And so, what, why is it a Chinese company? And I think there's a lot behind it. But the simple answer I'd like to give is that China has been. Doing really well in consumer internet and ByteDance in particular, which was a company founded in 2012,、um, it's one of the new, newer generation of Chinese consumer internet companies that's actually really excelled and is not just strong technologically, but it's also very strong operationally.、Um, you know, I. I Like the audience, well, there's no live audience, but you know, if you're listening to this, like, ask yourself how many, you know, a hundred billion dollar companies have been created in、um, the U.S. and from Silicon Valley in the last ten years. Well, I can tell you, in China, there's been three, right? There's been Pinduoduo, there's Meituan, both of which were、um, founded, and, and ByteDance, all of which were founded in 2010 or later. Pinduoduo actually only five years ago. So、um, the the new generation of Chinese internet companies are very very strong, and、um, I think that's something that, aside from all the political reasons why people are worried about it, I think the innovation and the energy、uh, that's coming out of China, I think it's something that people should be taking a harder look at, right? Like, why is this app、uh, so popular? Yeah, and a lot of the reasoning that you know, like I've read, and also as like you know, I've used TikTok a little bit, is that they kind of leapfrogged the、uh, the social graph、uh, by like really leaning into an algorithmic feed、uh, mm-hmm. and having you know full frame video,、um, mm-hmm. and their algorithm is、uh, even such that it doesn't even matter what your past content or、mm-hmm. like how good your past content did. It's only focused on this piece of content and whether or not it is, you know, of excellent quality. So I think we've seen like just this huge, like,、uh, I would say, like almost like the the natural endpoint of social media is that like everything just goes towards this gigantic algorithm that sorts out what's good and what's not.、Um, and it seems like TikTok has like done that with you know full frame video,、uh, you know, combined with music,、um, and so it has. You know, just a very immersive user experience, like right from when you open the app. Honestly, right, right, yeah. So that's an interesting point. We just actually translated a, or actually we're in the middle of translating it, so I only have the first part up.、Uh, we've been basically、um, really focused on bike dance. So I myself am writing a what I hope will be an ebook on it,、um, and we've been putting up content about. You know interviews from the company, and also most recently it was from the creator of TikTok, this lady named、uh, Kelly Jungnan, and she、uh, gave this very extensive hour-long presentation on the thinking behind、um, Douyin, which is the Chinese domestic version of TikTok, which is about like probably two years ahead of TikTok in terms of development. 
um, and in terms of features, in terms of the dimensionality of the content. So while yes, they very deliberately started uh, Douyin with a music, uh, it was actually first named a short video community for young people, a sorry, a short video music community for young people. So they were like very focused on young people and uh, music as one of their main, um, you know, value propositions. Uh, but if you follow the app in China, it's now like basically a generic short video app, right? It's not just music. It's more like in terms of dimensionality of content, it's more like YouTube, you can find anything on it. In fact, there's a ton of education content on it. And you can also um, upload longer pieces of content on it as well. So it's not just 15 seconds or 60 seconds, it's up to a few minutes. Uh, and there's lots of people doing e-commerce live streaming, um, which is also a new growing business for them and just like a bunch of other stuff, including like mini games, et cetera. So Bike Dance, the company is very, very diversified in terms of how many products they're running, but Douyin specifically, which is the TikTok uh, of China, or the Chinese version, I should call it, the Chinese version of TikTok is also, uh, has incorporated all these new features. And that's something we should expect TikTok in the US to do as well. So while yes, like, you know, right now TikTok in the US is still uh, heavily dominated by, you know, people lip syncing and dancing, um, we can already see that. For example, when BLM, um, you know, took off on the internet that, you see a lot of that type of content, uh, you know, going up on TikTok as well. So it's it's not going to be just music. Uh, but one of the things um, you did mention also full screen, that is also something that was a very intentional um, choice on their part. And they actually copied another Chinese app called Musical.ly, which they bought in uh, towards the end of 2017 for almost a billion dollars. Um, and they, again, you can go go to our website and read uh, Kelly's like thought process behind this, but they tried hundreds of apps, uh, all video and short video was already like an explosive genre in China at the time. And I included a few screenshots in the, in the thing, uh, in the article where I could where I showed you what other competitors look like it back in 2016 um, when they launched Douyin. And you can see that actually full video and specifically uh, high definition full video was, was, not, um, was not the format of choice for most of their competition. And they went with that uh, because um, you know they believed that it would be much more immersive, like you said, and then that it would be like just a very different experience for their users. Yeah, Ben Thompson kind of describes TikTok as uh, YouTube that grew up on the phone instead uh, of the desktop. Yeah, and that's about right, right? So if you, again, like if you look at China, China is a very, very, I think the, the headline actually that's missing in tech is that, again, most people who analyze tech don't actually understand China tech. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying anything that's, secretive it's, it's like very out and open but china is like very much a digital first economy in many ways right so you look at e-commerce penetration it's 30 plus percent uh versus the us which is like half of that right and you look at uh digital advertising like i looked up some digital advertising stats right before we did this recording just so i can talk more intelligently about uh you know Douyin and how it's doing in China and the penetration there is 70 plus percent, right? 75%. Uh, whereas in the US, it's just over 50%. It might be a bigger market here, but again, like China is very, very digital. So it's no, um, it's no surprise that like a mobile first experience is coming out of China. And in fact, uh, if you read our interview that we translated from uh, Zhang Yiming, the ByteDance CEO and founder from 2018, um, you can see very clearly, like he's been very open about why he started ByteDance, right? He had a real estate company, uh, real estate search engine company that was working, but his realization at the time in 2011, which is when smartphones really took off. If you, if you look at smartphone shipments worldwide, that was a year that people were like, oh, smartphones, China, you know, this is the year of the smartphone. And 
he decided to leave his search-based company and say, actually, I think mobile and a different way of searching, so using algorithms to push information is the future. And that is what I'm going to bet my future on. So he left his you know, his startup, I'm not sure if it was like doing super well, but it certainly wasn't going bankrupt. And I think that's pretty rare where you see a entrepreneur who um, is then leaves and just goes like, nope, actually, I want to do something else completely different. And, and that's what he did in at the beginning of 2012. Yeah, that's, that's a great point is that, you know, he, he stated before that he wants to obliterate search via an algorithm. I think that was the, the, uh, the TikTok CEO. Uh, okay. I don't know if he said he wanted to obliterate search. Mm -hmm. I think what he said was, at least the interviews I've read was that he said, there is, um, a different way that people want to be fed information. Right. And actually if you, there's been many, um, experts I've talked to and I, I kind of agree with them a little bit, which is that in China, because search actually has been historically quite weak. Um, and because there is no such thing as the PC culture, everyone, a lot of people's first experience um, on with the internet really is on their mobile. Uh, that that it just very naturally the sort of algorithmic pushing of content to you came didn't feel forced to them, and it felt very very intuitive, right? Because um, you're going online not necessarily with an intention of trying to discover something, maybe that is how people, like I'm a, I'm an old millennial. So that's sort of still why I go on the internet sometimes, right? Like, but it, in China, when people, uh, you know, first encounter the internet, um, they don't necessarily have a super strong idea of what they're looking for. So they're not being pushed to search for things. They would rather be told, not told what to do, but like shown what is possible. I would say that is um, a more intuitive behavior. Certainly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Douyin. And, uh, you know, we have e-commerce live streaming uh, that you were talking about. You said that, you know, Douyin is about two years ahead of TikTok. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we also have started seeing the rise of Kindle Duo um, mm -hmm. recently. Um, and there's even U.S. startups that are pitching themselves as, you know, Pinduoduo Duo. Uh, for the U.S. Really? Okay. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is rare to like, you know, pitch it as a Chinese company. Um, mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what are the features in Douyin? Uh, uh, how, how is it pronounced again? It's called, uh, it's pronounced Douyin. Yeah. Douyin. And it actually means uh, vibrato, um, the, the word, but yeah, in Chinese. That's pretty cool. So yeah. uh, what are some like features in Douyin um, around like live stream e-commerce? I think like, I actually don't keep up, you know, feature set by feature set, but generically I can tell you that, you know, Douyin's had sort of virtual currency for a long time. It's since the beginning of last year, it's already had a mini game platform. Uh, and it's actually, uh, you know, ByteDance is investing pretty heavily into, into gaming. That's actually one of the reasons they cited why they hired, or I don't know if they cited, they hired Kevin Mayer, but that's one of the reasons why people are guessing that he was hired uh, because he has a lot of, you know, access to IP that could become really interesting games um, or has negotiated IP in the past. And uh, you look at uh, like in uh, specifically like live streaming is a big, big deal in China. It's been, around really for the last decade or so, but I think now we see, because it's been around for a decade and there are not just an audience, a captive audience that you know is used to and likes this type of entertainment, but whenever you think about sort of a new medium like that, right, you also need talent, right? Talent, um, like lots of people and lots of creators who are good at this. And so the live, the, you know, live streamers have, been making money in, in China for, yeah, like probably almost a decade now. And there are now serious, really, really professional teams, um, especially in e-commerce, right? So while it started off as sort of entertainment live streaming where people are just streaming themselves 
effectively like talking or singing or telling jokes um, or doing some other talent. Now there's really like serious e-commerce and that's been accelerated by COVID. One of the examples I like to give is like the number one live streamer in China who does e-commerce, her GMV gross merchandise volume is comparable to a very large mall in China, right? So what she does in terms of sales in one year, uh, again, that's not equal to, that's the number of goods she moves. That's not equal to the cut of revenue she gets, but we're talking about like a couple hundred million. I think it was like $360 million or something in 2018. It's just a 500-person team, right? So um, that's basically like sourcing, promoting, um, you know, incubating other talent, et cetera. So it's a whole big ecosystem and Chang over there. Douyin actually isn't the first one to get on live streaming. Um, actually, if you look at, again, back to when um, ByteDance started Douyin, they actually started two products at the same time. You'll find this in our interview with um, Kelly or in our our translation of Kelly's presentation, which is that they started two uh, short video projects at the same time. One of them was Huoshan, which was ByteDance's counter to um, the number two uh, short video player in China, which just targeted more towards rural Chinese, uh, a company called Kuaishou. They, they launched Zin over here in the US for those of you that heard about it before he got banned and then the uh for for different reasons than political ones and then the uh douyin was sort of like um a, a, an experiment i think uh, they they pretty like openly copied musically actually and then that was sort of their um counter to um other products that were targeting urban use but they felt that they could do better and i'm sorry i think i forgot the second question if there was one. Oh, Pinduoduo, did you ask about Pinduoduo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, that's interesting. I think Pinduoduo is like, uh, we've done one episode on Pinduoduo so far. I think it's one of the more um, misunderstood companies, like people talk about as social commerce, but the CEO himself uh, has already said, like there is no such thing as social commerce, which I would agree with him. Like you don't necessarily, you know, generally people are not looking to network while they're shopping. Um, what it did have was sort of several mechanisms by which they tried to, it was really customer acquisition mechanisms that really leveraged the social graph on WeChat because they are invested in by Tencent. And so I think that is something that that's why people call this social commerce, but it, it really isn't. What it really is, uh, and the company itself has pivoted towards more this these types of words in their official PR, which is that it's it's C2M. So it's called customer to manufacturer. And that's something why I um why I have a little I'm a little skeptical that people could do this in in the US um, because what they're doing is they're working with a lot of these suppliers in China directly and they're taking they're aggregating demand and taking the data from customers and shaping demand and then asking suppliers to basically come up with products that they already sort of know what the customer demand looks like. So in that way, that's really their sort of main secret sauce. The other stuff is really just customer acquisition. Um, but even Pinduoduo, again, that stuff is, is difficult to execute, but it's not it's not a complete black box, right? So you already see Alibaba and you know JD, et cetera, all have rolled out similar, um, similar value, uh, similar products. Yeah, so. I like the point you made about how it uh, latches on to the WeChat social graph, mm -hmm. um, and then it uses that to aggregate demand, and then it uses that aggregated demand to leverage against. Mm -hmm. Manufacturers, right. uh, so it's you know you, you say the word uh, customer to manufacturer, but it's it's also like they're a big part of it too because they're funneling and creating demand and then going to manufacturers uh, to help fulfill that demand. Yeah, and again the um, the main like you could already do that sort of just with prepayment, right? Like if you know it, to some in some ways like prepayment might be a part of it, but the, the real value is when you actually understand your customer demand so well that you're able to shape a whole new um, product, right? So for example, I think um, 
I guess I haven't seen like, or I haven't actively tried to go out to see what Pinduoduo's example of this is, but Alibaba, uh, which produces a lot of great media, actually, you can read one of their examples on C2M. Like I said, they've already launched their um, competing platform. And so the example they gave, which I thought was really great, was, um, you know, COVID comes and a lot of manufacturers are, you know, seeing de declining sales. And yet, what COVID has brought with it is an opportunity for new products, right? So uh, Alibaba noticed that uh, its customers were searching for um, alcohol-based disinfectants for their cars specifically, right? So I guess like it probably it needs to have a certain level of alcohol. They, they were talking about how it needs to have a certain amount of alcohol, uh, you know, content so that it is properly disinfecting, but it also can't be, you know, like probably needs to smell a certain way because it's for your car and probably needs to be leather safe and like whatever these other characteristics, right? So then they went to their suppliers and they said, or they went to one supplier in particular and said, hey, can you guys make this? Because you make sort of similar stuff, but you don't have this specific product that we're now seeing surging demand for because of COVID. So they went there to the supplier. The supplier goes like, okay, you know, based on these characteristics, yes, we can rejigger our you know, manufacturing lines to make it. And then they put it online in like two or three weeks. I don't remember. Um, and then it sold out. So that's sort of the example of C2M where you're not just like aggregating demand, right, for an existing product, but you're actually um, informing the supplier what to make. Yeah, and that's, that's very helpful, especially like when new markets open up. Um, and you need to kind of define the demand, um, define yeah. what people are, are, are looking for and what they want. Yeah, but it also requires, I mean, again, it takes time to build up that kind of intelligence, right? <laughs> so, and it takes that, it takes a lot of time to build up the supplier relationship. So, which is why I'm a little skeptical about US companies being able to do that at scale. Um, and again, in China, a lot of people have pointed out the reason why Pinduoduo and such companies were able to, um, grow so quickly in the past five years is because it about coincides with the excess of manufacturing um, supply in China. So starting a couple years ago, you see a lot of uh, factories have excess capacity. So they were willing to take on these orders, right? That That's also part of it. Yes, just having uh, spare capacity uh, to kind of experiment. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and how, how do you think this, you know, live stream e-commerce could bridge over into the U.S.? Like, are there, you know, there's certainly TikTok, Instagram, maybe even Snapchat um, mm -hmm. that could do this very well. Are, are you kind of seeing any movements on U.S. companies to move into this space? I think everyone's trying to, right? Specifically, Instagram probably has done the most, I think. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's going to take, uh, like, again, in, in China, right, like, it took, it's been happening for the last decade, right? I'm not saying it, it took necessarily the whole decade, but um, sort of live streaming as a behavior in general. Um, and you see now, actually, live streamer for um, retail brands as one of the growing job categories. <laughs> so especially post COVID. And I think, again, like, there's nothing behavior wise that I think you that prevents like Western consumers from getting into this, but it's a two sided thing, right? Like, even if I am perfectly willing to consume, right, based on some live streamer, the live streamer needs to be sort of practiced at this, right? So you see that, you know, we have and on YouTube now, there are people with like really good videos because they've been doing it for a while and they're basically professional content generators, right? And like their stuff is just really good. Uh, and I would subscribe. I probably, you know, whatever, like buy their merchandise. Uh, same thing with like live streamers, right? So you, I, I don't think the, I don't think it's, um, going to make sense to predict that it immediately becomes like as big as it is in China because again like the the influencers um now need to learn how to deal with video so maybe they were really good at like posing for Instagram photos before but now and maybe some of them are really good at making uh sort of 
pre-cut videos for YouTube, but now you need to live stream. And that's a very different, um, that's a very different talent set, right? And then the second thing is because live streaming e-commerce, um, let, let's say we're talking about e-commerce specifically, has been around for a while in China, you see that the tools themselves, right? Like the apps themselves um, have those features built in, right? Where it's encouraging, um, it's, it's letting you, um, for example, like buy things very easily. And it's really, you know, encouraging the live streamer to sell things, right? So um, China's made a lot of progress in this uh, area. Like I watched a video I mean, I can't live stream on Kwai Show, for example, uh, like I said, which is the number two short video platform and one of the leading e-commerce live streaming platforms in China. Um, I can't live stream on there because I don't have a Chinese ID, but uh, let's say I did. So I, I watched a video on how fast it would be to set up my own e-commerce shop and it, it, in on that platform. And it would be actually very fast, assuming I have a business license, right? Which makes sense. You, you need, you know, a business license to be able to sell stuff. Cause what, what is the consumer going to do if you sell them defective items, right? Like, so all these things uh, sort of need to be figured out. And I think again, China's ahead because it's just been going on for longer and all these other parts of the ecosystem needs to be built out other than, you know, aside from just Instagram saying, Oh, we launched a, feature, <laughs> you know, the talent go up, the, you know, other tools uh, need to be there. The government needs to have some probably oversight to protect consumer interests, et cetera. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think this is a big trend that I'm like seeing and hearing about is, uh, you know, when startups are trying to unbundle a community, they're trying to target influencers um, to kind of like seed the community. Um, it's like they, they probably have some social standing uh, on another app or another social space, uh, but they want to like take it into like a new media, like such as live streaming. Um, and so kind of there you see the platform and the influencers kind of grow in mm -hmm. one step. The tools become better, creators become better. Um, and then the app is, you know, kind of more and more geared towards, you know, a certain vertical. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was talking about like Instagram. They've recently added some new uh, shopping features. But I think the, the thing that Instagram doesn't get is that a lot of the live stream e-commerce aspect is entertainment. Um, a lot of these live streams start with like giveaways. They have like discounts. Um, it's like a very exciting thing to like join and it's full frame, you know, on your phone, like you're staring at it, like really close to the host. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's more of an entertainment thing than anything else. I think first yeah. and foremost, um, and then shopping is kind of just, just the fun element is that you can just buy anything on screen at any point. Um, and I don't, I don't think uh, Instagram's new features quite capture that idea. They just think that, oh, these influencers want to set up a shop where they can sell their merchandise. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is very much an analog way of doing things. You know, it's not a digital live stream first kind of mentality of the world. Yeah. But I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like the product's fault. Again, you know, give it some time to iterate, but it's also the, like I was saying earlier, the capabilities of the uh, hosts themselves, right, of the live streamers themselves. In, in China, you have all these live streaming schools. You have uh, MNCs, multi-channel networks, which are effectively agencies for live streamers where they, you know, help you find really interesting products. They do promotions for you, right? Like the number one live streamer I was telling about uh, earlier, Leah, she sold a rocket on you know, one of her shows, right? She yeah. sold like a literal rocket. Um, you know, people like it, people now have um, celebrities. We're talking about like Tom Cruise level celebrities coming on their live streams to, to premiere their movies and sell discounted movie tickets, right? So uh, yeah, I guess they must be discounted. Yeah, movie tickets to their newest movies. So it's like a very accepted thing. Again, it's not just like the influencer showing off some product, right? It's, it's very much like unexpected, really special things like people um, 
you know, live streamers are also really committed to getting the best deals for their customers that will negotiate with large brands to get special uh, packages, right? Like, especially makeup, it's very common to be like, this is the whatever, I don't know if Via did one, but like, let's say I were a live streamer, I'd be like, hey, this is the Ray Ma like bundle from L'Oreal or whatever, right? So again, it's, um, it's, it's a it's a couple of things, right? It's it's the live streamers themselves. It's the but it's also also the brands, because um, as it gets bigger, brands are more inter interested in experimenting. So there's there's like there's like a virtuous flywheel situation going on here that I don't think has quite picked up the steam in in, in here in the West yet. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Is that we also have to think about how these influencers interact with brands. Yeah. I think Brands have typically uh, interacted with, you know, creators by like giving them a, a sheet of things to say about their product. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, that just doesn't work in a live stream world. Uh, we kind of see this a little bit with like David uh, Dobrik and like SeatGeek. Uh -huh. uh, he, he's a big YouTuber and like he, he just kind of like naturally weaves all of his sponsors into his uh -huh. videos. And he kind okay. of, he never, get, he never does the talking point. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I think we're going to see more kind of relationships like that, where it is a more creative, you know, kind of relationship where the, you know, these influencers are kind of treated like, like, you know, Nike treats athletes, right? Like, you know, yeah, Nike they're spokespeople. Yeah. In, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the spokesperson for the brand and they like, mm -hmm. they need to be able to exert like kind of that same leverage, right? Because if they're bringing their audience and telling their audience about, you know, a product, they want to be able to offer their audience, you know, great deals. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is, you know, this whole cycle that does have to be built out before we see um, or catch up to kind of like what we're seeing in China. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's, I don't think it's, it's not rocket science, right? It just requires some more momentum in the system, some more oxygen. <laughs> so you will be able to sell a rocket though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah be pretty cool so cool um so another thing i wanted to talk to you about was uh there's been talk in the u.s about the u.s government banning uh tiktok um yeah. i think at first like when i first heard it i was pretty perplexed i was like this is a pretty like um fringe view like this would never happen and then kind of i feel like india banned tiktok and now it's kind of mainstream in the U.S. to be like, well, the U.S. government is going to ban TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think a good place to kind of like start this discussion is like, um, I think a lot of people think uh, the U.S. should ban TikTok. You know, Chinese government already banned Facebook, Google, um, Snapchat, Twitter. You know, like this is just U.S. companies now playing a fair game, right? We never had access mm -hmm. to their market, so they're not going to have access to our market. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, an oversimplification of what's happened, and it sort of equates uh, two situations that are not really equivalent. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I think the bigger question is, like, why is the number one social media app in, in, in the U.S., a Chinese-made app, right? So if you look at all the things that the, U the Chinese government has banned from the U.S., none of them were remotely close to number one market share, right? I think the story that gets lost is actually how few people used it, even when it was not banned. Um, and there's a variety of reasons, right? So again, most of these services, you can go to Wikipedia and look it up. Uh, most of these services were banned in the early 2010s, right? So um, Google left, you know, 2010 or 2000, I have the data 2010 yes google left in 2010 it wasn't actually immediately banned you could still go to their website and get oh, so you, sorry you could still go to the hong kong website which worked not super well but uh it was like laggy and often had some censorship but you know it, could, it you could still use it but even even google which made a serious i would say made a very serious effort in in china by hiring a very high profile executive establishing a team localizing the product never got more than half of the market share of the leader of the local leader right um a baidu which 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 still remains the local uh, search leader to this day and um whereas other products that you see get banned i know people like to just parade around facebook and snapchat and 
Instagram, et cetera. Again, they were banned after very specific political events. Um, and it didn't even, it didn't even register in the Chinese, um, internet sphere because, I mean, you look at Facebook's own admission in 2012, which is like three years after their ban, only 600,000 people in China, like had a Facebook account, right? So no one, I mean, no one in China were, was really using these services. I would argue that the only one that was, um, that like even remotely reached like a level of consciousness where people are like talking about it was Instagram and Instagram at its height was, uh, number 25 in the app stores in China. Again, that's, that's pretty high and that's pretty good, but like, it's not the number one app. It didn't uh, dominate its category. And pretty soon afterwards, I wouldn't even call it. Yeah. Pretty immediately you had clones, uh, of Instagram, uh, for example, in China pop up and, and you know, like, I'm not sure, actually, if Instagram were able to continue in China, that it would have become number one, like, that's a counterfactual, like, I cannot say one way or the other, but I'm, I think it's slightly different, right? Uh, Instagram being like, like I said, the only product that remotely came close, everyone else was like, really not the, you know, social media darling that, like, TikTok, it currently is with Gen Zers in the U.S., and I think that's a very different situation, right? So, um, and if you look at other products that are not um, social media or messaging uh, related, which the Chinese government did not ban, uh, you look at the one that's done the best is Uber, right? And again, it was a distant second to its local competitor. It was losing a lot of money, which is why it sold. I actually think it had a great outcome uh, by selling um, because it's the, the company that bought it is still a loss-making business, but uh, that's probably done the best. It was not, it was not, you know, um, banned, right? Like I said, and then Amazon, you look at Amazon, which exited China effectively, it actually bought the number two um, player, if, if you count book selling uh, 10 plus years ago as its dominant, you know, business, it bought the number two player, you know, the government didn't say you couldn't buy it, so they bought it. Uh, and it sort of even did okay for a few years, but it was unable to compete ultimately because it made a lot of missteps in, in localization um, and not because it didn't try to invest in the market. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that like these examples, I think give people like without thinking about it, right? If you're in the West, you're like, oh my God, you banned Facebook. Uh, oh my God, you banned Instagram. Oh my God, you banned WhatsApp. Like what do people use? But then you actually look at the situation on the ground and you're like, actually no one's using this stuff, right? It's like, I would say the equivalent ban is of basically um, the Trump administration saying we're going to ban WeChat. That is very similar. WeChat is uh, about ranked about 1500 on the app stores in the US right now. I'm willing to bet that unless you know someone who, you know, unless you do business in China or you're overseas Chinese, you probably don't use WeChat. Uh, WeChat, in fact, makes it very difficult for you to register if you're overseas. Um, person. <laughs> so like you need to get all your like Chinese friends to verify you and stuff because they really, they just don't want fraud and spam. Um, so like, I would say that's equivalent, right? That, that, that's like the level of um, ban that we're talking about in terms of its market and commercial significance. That's a great point. Uh, but couldn't you also say that uh, like, China did ban them, right? Like, yes, they weren't the market leaders, but even so, China thought that they were a threat, so much so to outlaw them. Mm -hmm. uh, like, in, in, a, in a way, it is kind of a similar argument. I guess the only difference here is that the potential ban is kind of the number one app in the app store. Um, right, and, and, I, and I think on that, so if you're talking about sort of national security, then yeah, like, I'm not arguing that that, so... What I'm saying is that there are people who are uh, sort of saying that as the argument, then yes, then the, I think that's, that is exactly what's happening, right? But when people e equate it to sort of a commercial decision, I think that is oversimplifying um, quite a bit. So uh, again, like, like I said, um, my personal opinion on this whole issue is that, you know, you either, you either have to believe that 
being of Chinese origin, does it make it a national security threat or you believe it is? And there is just like, it's very binary what you believe. And I don't think it's going to be, if you believe one thing or another, it's not going to be provable or disprovable to you one way or the other, because we don't have access to this information, right? So you can always say like the information is being hidden from me. And um, yeah, and it, depending on where you lying on that uh, sort of topic, then you're going to have a recommendation one way or the other, right? So I'm just saying like, let's, let's be clear about what the situation is. Um, another thing that I think worth, worth mentioning is when people say like, oh, this is like an algorithmic stuff, right? So, um, you know, like the, uh, the Chinese state can insert stuff in its algorithms and influence like U.S. citizens or whatever. Okay, that, that's fine. Um, but I think then you have a much harder time explaining, well, why are you banning WeChat, right? Because not only are Americans not using it, um, it is actually explicitly anti-algorithm. In fact, I've written a lot on this. It's sort of like there are two camps in Chinese internet in terms of content distribution. And one is WeChat, who is like saying people sorted content is the best. Your social graph, right? Like uh, real people, you know, curated stuff. And on the other side is bike dance, which is like algorithm, which is very black box, right? And um, yeah, like WeChat is actually very explicitly not algorithmic, it has very, very small part of its product uh, being algorithmic. And I think that's partly actually in pressure to, or, or bowing to the pressure of bike dance's success. So um, then, then, you know, what is the reason for, for banning WeChat along with, um, along with TikTok, right? So maybe, maybe then it just gets all caught under the national security umbrella under which, okay, then I have like no argument and I'm not trying to argue it. I'm just saying like, let's be clear about uh, what these products actually do. Yeah. So like if, if you think that the U.S. is going to ban, you know, uh, TikTok over national security concerns, uh, to me, it does make sense to like ban WeChat under those same concerns, uh, basically because I, I think the common thread is that the Chinese Communist Party uh, has leverage and uh, influence inside of these companies. And if these companies can at all influence our political process, um, you know, we, we don't want a foreign party messing or interfering with domestic elections in the US. Right, and that is that is the argument that people, like that that is being used, right? So there's, again, I think there's nothing like, you know, there's nothing you can prove or disprove um, about that if you, if you believe it, right? And what I mean is like TikTok can do nothing to prove that that's not happening, in my opinion, right? I, I agree, <laughs> it's very hard to do that. I mean, you could open source the algorithm is, one thing, but I don't think that would silence critics. No, I don't, I don't, I literally don't think there's anything they can do to, uh, yeah, to alleviate that specific concern. Do you think if ByteDance sold TikTok to a non-Chinese company that these concerns could be alleviated? Yeah, so I think like a lot of people have been talking about this. I think, you know, we were emailing that, you know, there's news that maybe a consortium of their investors start trying to fundraise some money to um, buy it out. But again, I think it's a very complicated issue, right? This, how can you um, sort of separate out a business that's number one, actually still quite immature. Like I was saying, Douyin is a couple years ahead of TikTok and that's why it's been able to uh, be commercially successful. Uh, it's Douyin maybe made, I think by reports, somewhere between 10 and $12 billion last year in, in revenues, right? TikTok is nowhere near that. TikTok is like, maybe they're projecting like, if, I guess if, you know, shit doesn't hit the fan, it's like a billion dollars globally, uh, which is a fraction of what, you know, the Chinese market is able to, to provide. So, uh, and if you're looking at last year, then it's, you know, very, very low in terms of revenue. So it's a very immature market. It's a very immature product that still needs to get um, have a lot of help operationally. Uh, and Bike Dance 
you know, because it's been able to successfully commercialize Douyin would be the best partner for that, right? So if you sell TikTok as it is now, while it is still loss making, it's still building up infrastructure um, and it's still onboarding different verticals of content, right? Like, this, like who's going to buy it at the price that it could potentially be if, if ByteDance were to operate it? You know what I mean? So uh, it's a very, very expensive proposition. Uh, and I'm not sure that it really alleviates any national security concerns if you just sell a portion of it. Like, I mean, 51%, does that really, does that really get by the regulators, right? So I think if people are sort of stuck on this issue, then um, anything other than a complete and clean break um, would be probably untenable to the um, to the people that are pushing for 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 it. So I don't know. Yeah, it certainly TikTok is more valuable within ByteDance because it can leverage all of Douyin's learnings in China mm -hmm. and apply those to the U.S. Um, and as it starts to build out infrastructure, build out verticals, like it very much would benefit from such knowledge. Um, and, and as you said, like it doesn't alleviate concerns. Like uh, the people who have national security concerns, to me, rearranging the shareholders does not seem sufficient uh, to like allay, you know, political manipulation fears. Right, yeah. And you know, let, let's face it, like the, even if the algorithm were somehow able to be like, I don't know, separated, um, I think, you know, let's say you open source the algorithm, like what, you know, you think that, uh, and you know, no longer, it's no longer Chinese owned or whatever, like people are still going to be trying to take advantage of, people are still going to be trying to take advantage of it. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's, it's just a very complex thing that I think, yes, we can uh, make a decision based on maybe ownership right now, but I think as a society, just the uh, unknown the unknown unknowns of having like an algorithm um, driven media, right, is, or information is, is, is something that we just don't know how to deal with as a society, like period, right, because this is something new, right, this is, um, we are now living in the age of like, not like sentient AI, but like machines are dictating how we see the world. Right. And, and code, yeah. That everything is mediated by an algorithm. And I think, I, I think you point, put it right. It's like a lot of these fears, I think, are at its core just fears about an algorithm, an unaccountable algorithm mm -hmm. uh, that is a black box and that no one knows how it operates mm -hmm. uh, and that has outsized influence on like mm -hmm. world events. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think a lot of the fear just stems from that. It just, they, people are afraid of an algorithm uh, just kind of mediating everyone's experience of the world um, yep. and they're able to paint it as a chinese communist party issue even better um yeah but i yeah i mean i think i think these are really interesting questions that uh i'm sure other people much smarter than myself are trying to grapple with and trying to explain and understand further i can sort of only just talk about the <laughs> commercial implications and, and my personal opinion on how this will be resolved. Yeah. So again, I think the, I mean, frankly, if I were by dance, I'd just let it die, right? Like why, like why create a competitor? If my product really is that amazing, why create a competitor? Um, because, you know, like is, is the entity that owns TikTok then just going to stop at U.S. like is it confined to U.S. borders? That doesn't make sense, right? So or maybe like the Chinese government doesn't let it come to China, but like what about the rest of the globe, right? There's there's a lot more markets to go. There's a lot more people coming online. Um, digital advertising is growing worldwide, and like why would I give away um, some core assets for who knows what price, especially right now? So. Yeah, that's a great point. ByteDance may not sell TikTok. Like, uh, why would it let loose a competitor? Um, Definitely would not sell it to like, you know, FAMAG. 
uh, Facebook, Apple, you know, whatever these, these companies, and you could potentially sell it to someone else with deep pockets who has new media aspirations. Um, a couple of friends and I were throwing around the idea like, oh, what if they sold it to Disney? <laughs> and Kevin Mayer goes back to work for Disney. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that possibility has been discussed. Um, but how can, can a company, um, you know, that is not new media or tech even absorb um, such an asset and, and run it properly? And if so, yeah, can, can they do it without having ByteDance be part of it, right? And if they can't, then, um, and if an internet company must be part of it, then it just seems very, very tricky for ByteDance because you are, you can be creating a competitor. Who knows? This, this world is changing very quickly and, um, I'm sure like, again, this, this conversation is being discussed in depth in their boardroom, but it's, it's very interesting to ponder. Certainly. Well, let's leave it there. I'm sure there'll be more updates on TikTok. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, maybe- every, every day. I feel like every hour gets some alert, blah, blah, blah. So-and-so this is happening. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ray, so where can people find you on the internet? If they want to learn more. Uh, the easiest way is to just go to techbestchina.com and sign up for our mailing list. Um, I, you know, I write very infrequently, actually. Uh, sign up for our podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. This is called Tech Buzz China, Tech Space Buzz Space China. And uh, I would say follow me on Twitter, but I've been locked out just now. So I don't know when they're going to uh, give me access back to my account. Why did you get but, locked out? You know, because I changed my password when I saw the hack come out, which is like I feel like a normal reaction when you see a platform get hacked, right? And then somehow that puts me on the list of suspicious behaviors, right? It's just like I think they locked. I'm out sure th- everyone who changed their password in the past thirty days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure eventually they'll get back to me, but it's taking them over a week now. So we'll see. That's been such a headache. That's, it's crazy that one of our biggest platforms is so insecure. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. So (laughs) that and the fact that they should be rewarding me for changing my password in case the entire password list was swiped. Right. I mean, I, in retrospect, I didn't really have to because I have different passwords for each website, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they would still have access to your Twitter account, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, whatever. It's cool. All right. Well, thanks, Ray, for coming on the show. Uh, yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Eric. All right. I'll see you. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs>